Welcome to the park. We're glad to have you here. We are starting a new series called Weird. Uh, it just works out good for me. I just turned 50. I, I told my wife to keep it low key. We had a busy, you know, summer with a kid getting married and kid going off to college and a kid in Bolivia and all the stuff going on. I just like, let's just go low key. But some people did, uh, you know, send me gag gifts, you know, old guy stuff. Uh, and some of the, the, the thing that I found the most fascinating was that there is a new wine that they're making for older people. Uh, Napa Valley, where they make a lot of the like Pinot Blanc, Pinot Noir, Pinot Grigio, those wines, that area of Napa Valley has come up with a new grape that acts as an anti-diuretic. And, and, and if you drink this wine, you won't have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. It's wonderful. It's called Pinot More. It's awesome. So thank you for that. Um, thankfully it didn't go so bad for me. Uh, it didn't go as bad for me as it did my friend Dave Stone. Dave preaches down in Louisville, Kentucky. He comes in here every once in a while and preaches for us. He turned 50 a couple of months ahead of me and his wife for his 50th birthday got him back waxing. Yeah. Yeah. He said he, he wrote me, he wrote me about, it. he said at the time I didn't know what I know now. I, I, I don't get the wrong picture. I got a few patches of hair on my upper, upper back. I've never been asked to be the caveman in a Geico commercial, but evidently Beth didn't have a hard time with my turning 50 as long as my back didn't look 50. In retrospect, he said, this is one of those gifts that you give that benefits the giver more than it does the recipient. Be comparable to me giving her a lawnmower, right? But the term back waxing sounded so pleasant, Dave wrote. So we went to this place, and Beth and a nice lady walked me past a group of ladies with smiles on their faces as their feet were being rubbed in a massage chair. And I think I was thinking to myself, this is heaven on earth. And they took me into this room with this padded table, and I laid down, and I thought, perhaps I'll take a little nap. And they'll wake me up when it's all over. Because I've heard of people speak about how relaxing manicures and pedicures are. Back waxing sounds kind of soothing, you know, like a, I pictured a giant candle being rolled across my back. <laughs> I realized I was in trouble, he said, when Beth said, do you want to hold my hand? <laughs> but nothing could have prepared me for what happened next. The nice woman then poured burning hot lava on a small section of my back. I would have screamed, but the pain had taken my breath away. Just as the scalding wax began to cool and my body stopped convulsing, this female technician who had seemed so sweet and passive suddenly became Attila the Hun. With a gusto of a demolition foreman, she emphatically ripped off a field of hair follicles. The process was repeated time and time again. And even though I was face down in my mind, I sensed that throughout the procedure, the two women were smiling at each other. Friend asked me what my wife gave me for my 50th, and I said, a back waxing. And he said, oh, what did you do to her? <laughs> that didn't happen to me, but I, I tell you that story because um, this series for you may feel a little bit like a back waxing. I'm, I'm going to ask you right up front if you want to hold my hand, because uh, it, what's happened to me with this empty nest and turning 50 and a kid getting married and all the changes that I've had in my life over the past summer, it's given me a lot of time for introspection, a lot of, a lot of reasons to look back and to try to figure out who I was and who I want to be and, and what, kind of a, what kind of a man do I want to be in the next half a century in my life and what kind of a church do I want to lead in the next half century of my life. And the word that kept coming back to me over and over again was this word. Weird. See, all my life, <clears throat> all my life I've been trying to be normal. I was a preacher's kid growing up. Any, any PKs in here in the audience? Just put your hand up. If you, you have, some of you grew up, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a PK, you're automatically weird. 
okay? Your dad works for God. People look at you and they know that you're weird. We're just weird by association. People feel sorry for you if your dad is a pastor. That, that's just kind of the way it goes because they know that you've got the drug problem, right? The drug to church on Sunday morning and drug to church on Sunday night, drug to church on Wednesday night. I wanted to say no to drug, but I didn't have any opportunity to. Because I lived in their house and it made me weird. And actually the stats are pretty bad about preacher's kids and how they turn out. Because even Billy Graham's kid turned out bad for a while. Franklin did. Now he came back around. A lot of times we rebel. Why do we do that? Because as kids, we really, really want to be normal. And so if you're already a weird PK, you've got to go really way over to the other side to try to appear normal. And that's what happens a lot of times. And really, if you think about it, it's not just PKs. All of us do extreme things to try to be normal. Most people don't do their first drugs or take their first drink or smoke their first whatever because they wanted to see what it was like. Most people do it because they want to fit in, because they want to be normal. If your first beer tasted good to you, you have weird taste buds. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I'm right. And the, the first drink, I'm like choking it down. You were too. Why did we do that? Probably because somebody was sitting around you and you wanted to look normal. And I ended up looking really normal in high school because I was all about that. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be part of the crowd. And I ended up being normal, which ruined any witness that I could have possibly had for Jesus. Nobody ever looked at me and said, oh, Harlow, yeah, he's weird. They looked at me and they said, Harlow's normal. And that's a problem because Jesus was weird. Jesus was so weird, they killed him. You realize that, right? And Jesus calls us to be weird. So here I am at 50, and I have to ask myself, am I weird? Thank you. And, um, <laughs> and, and to me, I think the answer is I'm not weird enough. Now, don't misunderstand um, we all know people who are weird in a bad way. Do you know people who are weird in a bad way? Don't point at them. Just, just, yes. Okay. And we all know people that are weird in a good way too, don't we? I mean, like they just march to the beat of a different drummer and they're weird, but they're weird in a good way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about weird in a God way. We're talking about being weird in a God way. Here's what Jesus said very early on in his ministry, Matthew seven. He said, basically he said, I want you to be weird. Here's what he said. Enter through the, what kind of gate? Narrow gate. Because wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And how many people enter through that? Many. See, that's where the crowd is. Think about it. Broad and wide is the road where the majority of the crowd is. And we often find comfort by looking around and going, well, everybody's doing that. Everybody's living that. Everybody's going that direction. So it must be normal. And we get comfort from normal. Except Jesus says normal is bad. Normal is the road to destruction. Isn't Jesus starting to sound a little bit like your mom? But mom, everybody's doing it. To which she would say, well, if everybody jumped off a cliff, you know my mom, right? I mean, that, that, I'm starting at 50 to wonder if my mom maybe was actually right because she's kind of quoting Jesus when she says that. Jesus said, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And how many people find it? Just a few. Just a few weird people. Let me ask you something. Would you like to find the road to life or the road to destruction? It's the difference between weird and normal. If you're on the broad road and your life looks like everybody else's, it may be that you're headed in the wrong direction. So I want to invite you over the next five weeks to join me on this journey with Jesus and look at the teachings of Jesus and figure out how to lead a weird life. And this is such good timing. 
Because I believe that if you ask the average person in the world today what they thought about this whole thing, the average person in the world would say, You're, you know what, normal's not working out for me either. You can take Jesus and the Bible out of the whole thing. Just ask the normal person about, for example, the way they spend their time. The average person would say, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm panicked, I'm spending way too much time on the important and not enough time on the, on, on the things that are really, uh, on the urgent and not enough things on, time on the things that are important. That's what the average person would say about time. If you ask them about money, what would they say? They would say, man, I'm really stressed about money. Normal is broke. Normal is a whole bunch of debt. Normal is financial fear. Normal is couples breaking up uh, over money because they're not managing their money very well. Think about your professional life. What is normal? Paycheck to paycheck, just getting by, no sense of purpose. What's normal in your relationships? Normal, if you're not married, is hopping from one bed to another until you find that person that you decide to hang out with for the rest of your life and maybe living together with them for a little bit first and then getting married and then normal is seven years in or however many years in, all of a sudden things aren't working out very well and normal is divorce. I think, I think we could take the Bible out of the equation and people would say, you know what, normal's not really working out for me. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on sexuality, but that was just one perfect example of how the world is saying sexuality is normal out here. And Jesus always said, and the Bible always said, that sexuality should be weird. And I thought, it's going to gross you out if I talk about that. So I invited Patrick and Molly, a young couple who've only been married three years, to come out and tell you why they decided to save, sexual, uh, to save sex for their marriage and welcome them out right now. Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Tim, for not talking about that. That would be super awkward. Um, so my name is Patrick Lockwood. This is my wife, Molly. We've been married for just over three years. And uh, Tim asked us to share a testimony of um, saving sexuality from marriage, from marriage covenant relationship with you all today. Um, because the thing is that saving sexuality from marriage covenant relationship is weird to the world. They don't understand it, and they can't understand it. Um, but as Molly and I were um, talking about this, you know, why and why did we wait? What kind of fruit have we seen because of it? The thing that kept coming to my mind is this, that there's this future aspect to God's promises and his commandments sometimes, um, and that we can't, see, we can't see the fruit of them right now. Um, we have to just take his word for it and believe him. So an example would be when Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And trust me, I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't mean it. Well, I can't see the rooms right now, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't believe him. And um, so it's the same with saving sex for marriage. You know, God says, I designed a man and a woman to enjoy sex in a marriage relationship. That's going to bring your greatest good and greatest pleasure in sexuality if you will leave it for that relationship. See, we can't see all the benefits and all the fruits right now. But in 40 years, I might be able to tell you more about the blessings in my life because of it. Yeah, and Patrick and I were talking about <clears throat> some of the blessings that we've seen um, in our marriage through this decision. And don't get us wrong, like, it wasn't easy um, by any stretch of the imagination, but um, one, a couple things that God did, um, he started to build our trust in each other um, when we were dating, 
And, you know, I'm, I'm blessed because Patrick is a man of great faith. But even when we were dating, I saw him putting his desire for God above his desire for me and putting the Lord first. And he saw me striving to put the Lord first. And that started to build this foundation of trust in one another um, and in God's grace to hold us and to keep us. And so um, we're really thankful for that. We're really thankful that that trust carries over into our marriage bed and that it's a place of safety and and peace and security. And um, another thing that God did was um, he was preparing us as we were, we weren't just believing God as individuals. We were believing God's promise that it was better to wait. We were believing that as a team. And we were fighting the enemy. We were fighting that temptation and fighting that sin together as a team. And we all know in this room, if you're married, you know that Satan wants to sabotage godly marriages. It only gets harder. The temptations only get harder when you're married. So what I couldn't see then was that God was preparing us to fight together when we were married to fight harder battles, and and trust me, we've fought some hard battles over health issues, um, some battles with depression, some battles with anger, um, battles with our past, and I'm so thankful that we had already had practice fighting victoriously over sin. Um, It's made it a lot easier to fight on the same team against the enemy now that we've been married. So, um, that's what you do when you're you're dating, is you're sewing into your marriage, and... um, And bottom line is, it all comes back down to what Patrick said, believing God, believing that he's real, believing that he's good, believing that his word is true, believing that obeying that word is going to bring you joy and going to bring God glory. That's right. And uh, see the thing about our beliefs, um, they go hand in hand with our actions. And, uh, you know, the, the way we live evidences what we really believe. And so I think that's why, uh, unfortunately, we make a lot of the decisions that we do um, in our sin and fallenness. We don't believe God. Um, So but we know that no matter what you've been through in the past, where you're at right now, maybe you're in a relationship right now that needs to change. That's okay. You can start believing God right now, walking by faith and not by sight. That's a scary thing to walk by sight. Walk by faith today. Thanks. Thank you, guys. And that's weird, isn't it? I mean, it is. Normal is where the rest of the world is. Normal is if you stay together, you're not going to be happy in your relationship. Like uh, this secrets to a long, happy marriage. Old woman was sipping a glass of wine, sitting on the patio with her husband. She says, I love you so much, I don't know how I could live without you. And her husband says, is that you or the wine talking? And she says, it's me talking to the wine. (laughs) That's funny right there. I don't care what you say. Why? Why? Why is that funny? Because... Because we all get that. The married people in this room, they get that. They're looking at a 50-year marriage. They're going, yeah, man, I'm, you know, I'm going to need some Pinot no more and Pinot, a whole lot of stuff. But it may, you know, wouldn't you like to not have that? Because Jesus said the road that, that few are on, I mean, that's, that's normal. That's why we can laugh about it. The road that few are on is the road that leads to life. That's what Jesus said. And I believe the thing about the 21st century is that Normal parenting, normal marriage, normal finances, normal life is not working out for us. And we're all up for something that's not normal, abnormal. 
Whose brain was it? Abby. Abby someone. Abby normal. Tell me I can quote from young Frankenstein. Come on. Do I have to quote from Twilight now or something? Am I that old? Really? Seriously? Holy cow. Craig Groeschel wrote the book that we're using for this series. Here's Groeschel's key thought for this, if you're taking notes. If you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. If you want what few people have, do what few people do. It's really that simple. Okay? If you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. If you want what few people have, do what few people do. And leave the broad road and get onto the narrow path, and people will call you weird. And on the narrow path, you're going to find what few people find. What do few people find today? Oh, peace, joy, security, fulfillment, a sense of destiny, a sense of significance, a purpose. I mean, few people have that today, right? Wouldn't you like to find that? The teachings of Jesus are so abnormal, aren't they? I mean, I mean, I don't know how we got to this point where we're all supposedly Christians, but we, and we all believe Jesus, and nobody really realizes how weird Jesus was. Jesus, for example, in Matthew 5, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. That would be normal. But I say unto you, don't even look lustfully at a woman. Whoever has looked lustfully at a woman has committed adultery in, her, in his heart. That's weird. I don't even know if not committing adultery is normal in the world anymore. But I think if we walked into this room, we'd all say, yeah, okay, not committing adultery, that's normal. What's weird? Not lusting? Come on, is that even possible? Jesus said, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. That's weird. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Did you hear the song? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is that? Those are the Beatitudes. Have you heard of those before? What are they? Weird. Jesus said, when you give, it'll be given to you. What does the world say? If you want something, you better take it, right? What, what Jesus said, if somebody hurts you, bless them. What does the world say? Retaliate, revenge. That's what you should do. Jesus said, if somebody pops you on the cheek, you should turn the other cheek. If somebody wrongs you, you should forgive them. Peter said, how many times should we forgive them, Lord? Well, I don't know, 490 times a day. That's what Jesus literally said. What is that? that? That's weird. Do you get that? Jesus is weird. His teachings are weird. If we're going to follow him, we're going to be weird. Two key thoughts. First of all, weird is weird people don't think like normal people do. Where people don't think like normal people do. Here's what scripture says, Romans 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Okay? Paul's pretty, pretty blunt. Okay? Don't be normal. But be transformed. How, how do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. It starts with the way you think. The way you think in your mind. And then you will know what? You will know God's perfect and pleasing will. And that is life. When you know God's will, because He made you, He's the one that designed you. When you know Him, then when you know His will, that's going to be the road to life. How do you do that? With your mind. Not what the crowd says, but what God says. I love the way the message paraphrases it. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's what we do. We're not doing it on purpose. We do it without even thinking. But if you're going to be weird, you're going to have to think weird. Why is that important? Because the way you think affects the way you behave. The way you think affects who you become. It all starts up here. Let me give you examples again. Time. You know, what, a weird, what do normal people do? Normal people do whatever everybody else tells them to do with their time. 
You need me to go here? Okay, I'll do this. Kids, you want to sign up for 15 activities and be gone every night? Okay, we'll sign up. That's what normal people do, right? We're, we're just going to be busy, overwhelmed. What do weird people do? Weird people say, you know what? I'm going to say no to that because I want to have time for the things that are really important in my life. Think about money. What is, what is normal? Normal is broke. How do broke people think? You want to think like a broke person or a rich person? Because that could get you on the path to going the right direction. We're going to talk about this next week. How do broke people think? Day to day. Maybe week to week. Most of the people in the United States of America, statistics will tell us, and definitely the people in the world, think maybe month to month. How am I going to pay the bills this month? How do weird people think? Year to year. Decade to decade. Generation to generation. Think about relationships. Again, normal. Sleeping around dozen people before I get married, moving in, doing whatever I feel like doing, not worrying about a covenant relationship with God. And whether you said till death do you part or not, normal is divorce. Over half the people are going to end up getting divorced. And some of you are there. And you know what I'm saying. And you know that normal isn't working. It's, it's normal. If you want normal, I'm not knocking it. I'm just here to tell you that I'm going to live weird. I'm going to stay with my wife. I'm not going to live paycheck to paycheck. I'm not going to let other people set my schedule. I'm going to learn to not hate. I'm going to learn to forgive. I'm going to not let my life be full of dumb choices that I later come to regret. I'm going to be weird and I'm going to renew my mind and I'm going to try to figure out God's perfect and pleasing will. And it all starts right up here. Second thought. Weird people don't live like normal people live. You don't think like normal people think and you don't live like normal people live. And that's going to make you weird. And when you're weird, you're going to feel like this poor Green Bay Packer fan kid at picture day. Because people are going to look at you and they're going to go, no, I think I'll sit over here. Thank you very much. Listen to me. If you're not, if you're just like everybody else, you may not really truly know who God is because God calls us to be holy and holy means separated and we're weird and that's who we're supposed to be. And the more you pursue him, the more you know this. Here's what Peter said. He said, dear friends, I urge you, please, pretty please, with sugar on top, as aliens and strangers in this world, you are you are not a part of this world. You're an alien and a stranger. I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. In other words, I want you to not feel at home here in this place. You shouldn't feel comfortable. Have you been in a foreign country where they speak a different language? Have you eaten their food and gotten Montezuma's revenge? Yeah, I, I just take Cipro every time I leave the country. I just take it with me immediately, right? Have you ever driven on the wrong side of the road? Like in England or someplace where that, I mean, it is insane. It's fine while you're driving, but when it comes time to make a turn, it is freaky, man. You're like, I don't know how to do this. I, I, I did it once. It's not a good idea. Why does that feel so foreign? Because it is foreign. Because it's not normal. And that's how the world feels. He says, live such good lives among the pagans. Be so weird among the non-believers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, oh, trust me, they are going to accuse you. They are going to say, why are you so weird? Why are you, why are you doing that? Come back to us. Be normal. Though they accuse you of doing wrong in the end, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I met a guy named Eddie who's part of Parkview. Uh, grew up in a gang um, in, in the city of Chicago. Two sixes. They... they uh, one of our, one of the rough gangs. He was arrested. He's been arrested ninety nine zero times. 
in his life. Fifty sometimes as a juvie and thirty sometimes as, as an adult. Became a member of the gang, became a leader in the gang. Tough guy, done a lot of bad things, been shot, stabbed, all those kinds of things. And finally along the way, realized normal wasn't working for him anymore. And he came to Parkview, he found Jesus, and um, he gave his testimony on Tuesday night. The next day, somebody called him a God banger. I, he didn't even know how they found out that he'd given his testimony. He, he, he went from being a gangbanger to a Godbanger. What, what, what's what, what's going to happen in, in, in those people's lives? They're looking at Eddie. They're looking at what's going on. And they realize that he's changed, that things are different. And now he's a Godbanger, not a gangbanger. People notice that stuff. Why does this feel so weird to us? Why does it feel so weird to us? I'll tell you why it feels weird to us. Because we're in a different place. Why is it that when you walk into this place, you feel good? Doesn't that happen to you? Don't, you? don't you feel the Spirit of God when you walk in here? Don't you wish like you could move a bed in here and just kind of live and hang out for a while, don't you? It feels good, doesn't it? You, you know why? Because this feels like home. That's why. Because this feels like home. Because you feel the presence of God. Out there you're an alien and a stranger and you're in a crazy place. In here you're at home with God. The psalmist said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That's what he said. And that's how we feel. But listen, don't be sad when we call the police on you at midnight tonight and tell you that it's time for you to go home. Okay? Don't feel sad about that because it's not really about this place. It's about the presence of God in your life. And you are the temple of God, not this. This is not the temple. We just happen to be getting together and where two or three are gathered there. He is in our, in our presence. But He can be with you as you go. But as you go off to work the next tomorrow, when you go off to, to, to the family that doesn't believe in God, there should be a part of you that feels a little bit like you're driving on the wrong side of the road. If you're having that feeling, that's a good thing. That means you're an alien and a stranger and you're living a weird life and that's what God has called you to do because Jesus said if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. Shane Claiborne wrote it this way. If you ask most people what Christians believe, they can tell you Christians believe that Jesus is God's son and that Jesus rose from the dead. But if you ask the average person how Christians live, they are struck silent. Christians live pretty much like everybody else. They just sprinkle a little Jesus in along the way because we've not shown the world another way of doing life. Here's Just hold my hand for a minute. Here's what Jesus said to the large crowds. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And all the normal people left. And there were only a few weird people, a few weird fishermen and some ladies, some weird people that followed him. But you know what happened? Jesus died. He rose from the dead and he appeared to 500 people and people started talking about it. And they realized he really was the son of God and maybe weird is good and normal isn't working anymore. And they started following Jesus. And the church began to grow and grow and grow and grow because it was weird and it was being persecuted. And that made it grow even more because it was even more weird. And then do you know what the worst, single worst thing that ever happened to Christianity was? It happened in 300 A.D. Do you know what it was? Constantine the emperor became a Christian. That was the worst moment in Christian history. You're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. The emperor became a Christian. Yeah, so what did that mean? That meant because he was the emperor and he could kill you, that you should probably become a Christian also. And everybody became Christians. 
but nobody was weird anymore. And Christianity became normal, like it is in the United States of America today. It's just normal. And if it's not weird, it's not effective. And it even got to the point where somehow they thought that they could, should go kill people from other religions and try to force other people to become Christians in the Crusades. And you, you ask yourself, how did they get from the teachings of Jesus to the Crusades? Don't, did you ever wonder that? How did that happen? I'll tell you how that happened. It happened because Christianity became normal. And they stopped following what God wanted. It's unbelievable. Here we are in the 21st century. 85% of the people in America call themselves Christians, but nobody lives any different than anybody else. That's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Somebody wrote it this way. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a poor man or make a sacrifice for a cause. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I'd like a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. It's not possible. I saw this report on MSNBC recently on the new vegetarians. Christy Pug, age 28, captured the report. She said, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like bacon. I'm not making this up. She represents a growing number of people who refer to themselves as, are you ready? Flexitarians. Most of the time they refuse to eat meat, but once in a while they make an exception. Christy explained it this way, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm not 100% committed. I read that report and I thought, wow, there we are. That's it. The problem with Christianity is there's a lot of people that want to be flexions. I really like Jesus, but I'm not 100% committed. You know, if filet mignon is on the menu, you know, I may have to rethink this thing. Well, let me ask you something. Is Jesus... You're one of many, or is he your one and only? Because Jesus said that we're supposed to, the number one commandment, number one, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? He didn't say your toe because he didn't need to. Heart, soul, mind, and strength pretty much summed up all of everything. The number one commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of everything. Flexions. It doesn't work. Kyle Adamant said it this way. Let's imagine that this week you walk into a restaurant and you see me sitting at a table having a candlelit dinner with a woman who's not my wife. And you come up and ask me who the woman is and what I'm doing. And I say, oh, I'm on a date. And you say, well, what about your wife? And I say, well, I still love her too, but this isn't our date night. Our date night is on Thursday. I can date who I want the rest of the week. And you would walk away angry and disgusted. And you decide that someone would need to tell my wife. So you call her and tell her, well, imagine I come home from my date and you've already told my wife. And she meets me at the door and says, hi, honey, how was your date? Imagine how absurd that would be. You don't even have to know my wife to know that her reaction would be jealous anger. As soon as I walk in the door, I would fear for my life. If she heard about me eating at McDonald's with a man who kind of looked like a woman, she would be jealous. And the Bible describes God as a jealous God. He doesn't want your one day a week affection. He wants your whole heart. So why should we be weird? I'll wrap this up. Let me say this because I know a lot of you grew up uh, thinking that you needed to act and work 
and live yourself into heaven. That it was about your works, it was about the good things that you could do. I want to tell you that that's not the truth. There are murderers in heaven, adulterers in heaven, liars in heaven, cheaters in heaven. And I know this because the Bible tells me this, okay? Please don't misunderstand this weird stuff. This is not about if I act a we- really weird enough as a Christian, if I'm a really 100% committed, then maybe God will save me. You know what? God will save you if you ask him. Okay, that's the amazing grace. We're saved by grace. We're saved by the fact that Jesus died on the cross, not by any works, because if it was works, then we would boast. That's what Paul said. And we'd go, look at me. I'm good enough to get into heaven. None of you are good enough to get into heaven. All right, forget it. I'm not. You're not. So why should we live a weird life? Number one, because it is the best way. It is the road that leads to life. He's not saying it's the road to lead to heaven. It's the road that leads to life. It is the best way. You talk to somebody who, who decided to save sex for marriage and ask them if, they're mar- if they think their marriage is better because of it. You talk to somebody who's an old couple who's sitting around enjoying a glass of wine together because they love each other, because they worked on their marriage and they decided not to have a normal marriage and they wanted to have a weird one and they went to counseling and they gutted it out and they made it happen and they love each other when they're 50 years married. You, ask, you talk to somebody who's not encumbered by debt and they're not up to their eyeballs and they're not living day to day and they figured out how to manage their finances in a weird way you talk to somebody who's 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 working in their life in a place where they want to be working no matter what the paycheck is talk to somebody who's raising their family with enough time for there to actually be time for them to pass on their faith to their kids you talk to those people and ask them how they feel and they will say they feel alive they feel like they have life it is the best way second reason why you should be weird Because everybody else needs to see it so that they will glorify God. Because when the world sees you and you got a fish on your car and they go, ho-hum, whatever, you just cut me off in traffic, I don't even care about you, You're you're not showing me anything. But when the world sees you weird, then they will see your good deeds, Jesus said, and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world, okay? How can you be light if you look like darkness? That doesn't work, does it? Have you been in a dark room and somebody turned on the light? What happened? Weird. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city that cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's the whole idea. That's how we bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. What do you think is going to happen to people that knew Eddie as a gangbanger and now they see him as a Godbanger? What do you think is going to happen? How's that going to work? Well, they're going to call him weird. They're going to say he's weird. They're going to say, hey, why don't you come back and hang out with us? But along the way, they're going to see what God is doing in his life. They're going to see what God is doing in his parenting and his marriage and and, and in his life and in his business and all of those things. They're going to see all those things and they're going to go, you know what? Weird seems better. Maybe I need some of that. What does weird look like for you? I don't know. I'm, I'm not here to answer that question. You and God have got to do that. It may be living beneath your means so that you can fund the kingdom of God better. It may be taking a job that frees up more time so that you can spend it with your family. It might be going back into the workplace so that you can be a light in the darkness in your workplace. It might mean that God's calling you to start some kind of ministry. It might be that God's calling you to sexual purity that we talked about a little bit. He might be calling you to get in a small group, okay? Can I just say this? We have 170 groups that still have holes in them for you to be able to come and, and, and be 
a part of a small group. He may be calling you to fill out that form in your bulletin and, 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 and give it to somebody on the way out of the building and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to lead my family in a weird small group or I'm going to lead some of my friends. We're going to get together. We're going to have our own small group. You can fill out that thing and, and do your own small group or you can get in one of the 170 that we have. We have like three or 400 of them getting ready to go, but 170 of them have room for you. You ought to be able to find room. God's probably calling you to that. I don't know what it is exactly. He's calling you to be weird, and I know this. Um, Emily and Jonathan are married, and um, they uh, they went on their honeymoon a year and a half ago down to uh, Orlando, down to Disney World. And if you've been to Disney World, you know that there is a place called the American Idol Experience. I'm a big Idol fan. I've been, I've been watching Idol for a long time. I Love to make fun of the bad singers because I'm, 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 a, I'm a bad person. And I, um, I, and I love to hear the stories and see the stuff that's going on. Well, they went down there and they tried out for the American Idol experience. And if you haven't figured out already, every one of these people is an incredible musician and an incredible vocalist, okay? So, funny story. Emily and Jonathan both try out for the American Idol experience. Jonathan wins his flight. Emily wins her flight. They get to the end of the day where they take all the winners of all the flights and they have the big competition. And as always happens, the woman wins and Emily won the golden ticket that day. Okay? Right? It's just a foretaste of the rest of your life, my friend. Okay? And, 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 and so she wins the golden ticket. If you win the golden ticket, that means that you don't have to sit in, in the stadium with all those other people. You get to bypass that and go to the next round. And Emily had done that, gone to a couple more rounds, and she was at the place where she was on her way to do American Idol. And we were, I was praying for her. We knew what was going on, and, and it was kind of interesting. And she got to the one town that she was trying out in, and her tryout was supposed to be at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And they had a... a a gig at a church on Saturday night in that town and things went late in the audition process and later and later and later and she started to realize that if she was going to stay and and try out for American Idol she was going to miss the show that night started praying about it started trying to figure out how, how to make this really important career decision and they decided and she decided that she was going to walk away from American Idol so that she could go sing for God at some church and she could stay with this band and travel around and sing. <clears throat> and do you know what that is? That's weird. <laughs> weird is living with this deep sense of spiritual drive and spiritual passion that I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do the things that God... There's nothing wrong with trying out for American Idol. She might do it again sometime. She could win the thing. And so could he. I mean, they might do it. That's, there's nothing, nothing about that. It's about the decisions that you make every day and weighing them against the things that God wants you to do. And asking yourself, am I going to think with the mind of Christ? Am I going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and do God's perfect, pleasing will and trust in Him? As Patrick was saying, that, that even though I don't see what is out ahead, that I know that it's there. Am I going to do that or am I just going to be normal and be like everybody else and be overwhelmed and miserable and afraid and shamed and full of regret and no purpose? Let me tell you something. You have an opportunity today 
doesn't matter what's gone on up to this point. Okay, Jesus has forgiven you for whatever that you've ever done, and he's going to forgive you. All you need to do is ask, okay? It's not about what got you here. I'm asking you here from here on. I'm committing myself for the next half century of my life, however long God gives me, that I'm going to be weird because normal isn't working, and I'm challenging you. Be weird because normal, it's not happening. All right, so it's time to say goodbye to ordinary. We're going to have communion now. This is a great opportunity for you to tell ordinary goodbye, tell normal goodbye, and say, you know what, God, I'm going to be weird. Some of you might be thinking, you know what, I don't know if Jesus has saved me or not. I don't know if I have Jesus in my life. Hey, all you've got to do is ask. We'll, do, we'll give you an opportunity during this prayer right now. All you've got to do is ask, and he will come in, and he will help you to be weird. You're not going to get it figured out tomorrow. You're not going to walk out of this place and be a completely different person overnight. There are habits, there are things that are going on in your life. I understand that. God understands that you're human. But He's called you to live a weird life. And it is the life that leads to life. And if you're feeling really normal today, this would be a great time during communion to say, you know what, God, forgive my ordinary, forgive my normal. I don't want to be on that road anymore. I'm going to be weird. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll be with us right now. If there are people in this room that don't know you or don't know if they know you, just let them open up right now and say, Jesus, come in. Come in. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive all of my sins, the ones I've done, the ones that still will be to come. And I ask you to come in and give me the strength to be weird and to follow you and to be on the narrow road and not worry about what everybody else thinks. Not worry about what everybody else is doing, but to think like weird people think. Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Give my mind over to you and find your good and perfect and pleasing will. And to live like you've asked me to live. To live like very few people live. Walk the narrow road, the narrow gate. And find all the things that I've been looking for. Not just in heaven someday but here on this earth. God, we're going to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're not going to be flexions. We commit ourselves to that. Commit myself to that. I pray that you'll be with us as we commune right now. In Jesus' name.